The Welsh Wire, where talent and business connect in West Michigan. The Welsh Wire features moderator Mike Rogers and professional recruiting expert Sherry Welsh in this podcast. Listen in as leaders from a wide array of small to mid-sized West Michigan companies weigh in and share their experiences and insights on a variety of business topics, including employee retention challenges and recruitment success stories. Hi, this is Mike Rogers with another great Welshwire conversation sponsored by the Family Business Alliance. Now, here's Sherry Welsh. And our guest today is Matt Rampey. Matt is the Senior Manager of Forensic Valuation and Litigation Services at Bean Garter in Grand Rapids. Matt, welcome to the Welsh Wire. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. So we're going to chat today about some things that are near and dear to your heart. You live it every day. You're going to tell us the three most common risks in family-owned businesses and how to overcome them. I can't wait to get started and hear about this. There's a lot to learn. Yeah. No, me too. Let's do it. Yes. But tell us first, if you would, tell us a little bit about Bean Garter and about your role there. How did you get started in forensic valuation and business valuation work? Uh, That's a good question. So my career in finance started about a dozen years ago or so in California. I started at Clorox doing finance work and quickly realized that that wasn't kind of the path I wanted to take uh, for the long term and kind of stumbled into business valuation as a lot of people do. Yeah, no one wakes up one day and says, I think this is what I'm going to go into, <laughs> right? right? It yeah. just, you kind of. It, it's a niche field, but it once is. I found it, I really realized this is my thing. And so I did that out in California for a lot of venture backed startups. And then we moved out here with our family uh, five or six years ago. And I've been doing it with family owned businesses in the West Michigan region since then. Oh. So not a native Michigander, but calling it your home My now. My wife huh? is, yes. Yeah, so, oh. well, I'm from Ohio, so pretty close. That's okay. We, we like you anyway, yeah, Matt. Yeah. You're a pretty good guy. <laughs> People allow me here. <laughs> pretty good guy for a Buckeye. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so in your work, obviously, you do a tremendous amount of work with family-owned businesses, mm-hmm. both large yep. and small. Yep. Okay. So you're going to tell us a little bit about those common risks that you see facing family businesses of all sizes and give our listeners some tips on how to overcome them. So what's the first big risk factor you commonly see, Matt? So Sherry, the first risk that I see, I don't want to say all the time, but very common risk in family-owned businesses is called key person risk. And that's sort of a business valuation term. But what it means is that there's one individual, usually the owner of the company, who who is involved in a disproportionate amount of customer relationships uh, technical knowledge, know-how, uh, a, a lot of the a lot of the key components of the business feed into that person. And as Warren Buffett said, he always thinks about what happens if I get hit by a bus. Yep. And the answer is, you know, you have key person risk if that person gets hit by the bus and the company can't operate right. without them. Then right. You've got a lot of that risk. Now, there's there's deg- degrees of that, but that's what we're talking about. And this is the first r- big risk factor you mentioned. I'm gonna guess because it's the most important, perhaps, and most commonly seen. Would that be fair to say? It is. It is very important, and it's very common. And I see it from a first from a valuation perspective. When I see this, I think, boy, the value of the company, all else equal, is going to be lower um, because of this. And if that doesn't get you excited, because there's more risk in this company, uh, a buyer would look at that company and say, hey, 
you've got a great company, but if this person leaves or, or you know, God forbid you're the owner and I buy you out and you leave, right. what, what am I buying? What's left? What's left? And I think more to the point uh, for a family-owned business, if that's generation one, has that key person and they're trying to transfer it to generation two, as I know a lot of family-owned businesses do, like to do, it's a problem, right? If, if all those things are tied up with dad or with mom, um, untangling that can be difficult. Oh, for sure. Unbundling that and what's the right time to do it and how do you do it and the potential for disruption right. in the business as that happens. So you tell a story about an organization that kind of got themselves caught up in that. Yes. So one, there's there's many, but... <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. One, one that comes to mind that's really kind of a striking example of this was a small... Uh, heating and air conditioning company where they supplied it to a particular industry. And there's one individual in that company that had a lot of knowledge, just a depth of experience in different aspects of the sales and marketing and engineering and heating and the industry knowledge and customer knowledge, super skilled at their job, um, came time for succession or retirement planning. And in our, you know, our answer from a valuation standpoint was, I don't know, you know, I don't know how much value an outside buyer is going to want to pay you. I don't, and then we looked at, well, internally, how could you transfer this thing? And right, and, and even at that, I mean, in a family business, mom or dad wants to transfer the son or daughter. They want a fair value for the business and the sure, or and the, you, even and the stock if, exchange or whatever that is, the cash exchange. Yeah, even if you gift it to them, this individual had developed those skills over you know decades literally yes. and so just you know to transfer to son or daughter literally would take years and years and you hear right. sometimes that succession planning takes 5 or 10 years and it seems like an astronomical number way too long but then you start to think about this stuff it might realistically take that person 5 to 10 years to transfer over that business to a new person who could do it competently yes yes so how do you overcome that risk? How do you mitigate that risk? What, what are your suggestions? I think the mitigation plan for this one is easier said than done, but it's to uh, diversify and transfer whatever whatever is being concentrated. If it's customer relationships, you need to start introducing your customers. Um, I guess a success story is we worked with a company that had a very assertive plan to diversify. They had customer reps who no one rep covered all the customers and they ah. started assigning customers to different reps and over yeah. a period of years built those relationships and then the management could fade out over time. I think that's a great example of how you can start to diversify that. You've got to build your team. There's, there's no question. You have to build that bench deeper than just that one person. Right, because it may take multiple people to cover the work that that one person has done. That's correct. And I think that's a common factor too, is the owner, uh, particularly in smaller businesses, does does and has to wear multiple hats. And they say, oh, I do the marketing and I do the HR and I do the this and I do the... And okay, you may need multiple people or parts of multiple people to really fill in all those holes over time. Right. So I think that's a great point. Right. So what's the second risk that you commonly see, Matt? Well, Sherry, <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the second risk uh, is customer concentration. So here's another concentration. It could also be supplier concentration. Um, and this one, just to kind of define what it is, is, uh, you know, a common example in West Michigan is you, you Meyer's a customer. 
and Myers got 60% of your revenue. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's a pro and a con. You've got Meyer, and they've got 60% of your – you could build a business like that very quickly, yeah. um, but you could destroy a business like that very you quickly. You sure could. That's scary. For, for most businesses, that's a scary spot to be in, but I also recognize a lot of companies find themselves there. Yep, absolutely. Because you don't want you want to say no to the big dog when that, you land them, right? That's right, and that's part of the challenge with that too is um, if any customer has a significant portion of your revenue – they get a lot of negotiation power with oh, you. Oh, sure they, they do. They can squeeze your margins, and that's part of the strategy. Walmart certainly has no problems doing that with its suppliers. And right, you know, we could talk about whether that's ethical or not, but it happens. Um, and you're in that position. And I think the f- the flip side, a well known story around here that was public is there was a company, a large company here, who had a had their manufacturing operations taken down to Mexico. Well, they they took it down to Mexico. Mm. And I think if you are a company that was working with them and maybe had customer concentration, you've got a real problem when something like that overnight happens, you might have just lost 40% of your revenue. Right, right. You may not have an opportunity as an organization to recover right. from that, or Absolutely. you end up being a shell of what you were. Absolutely. A lot of problems with that. So you've got the problem of, I might lose my business altogether. We might be a shell of what we were. We um, we may lose margin. Yep. And oftentimes, too, I guess I don't know if I'd say oftentimes, but another challenge that can come with this, and not not just this risk, but often we'll see it, too, is you have these handshake deals, to which just sort of exacerbates it. It's like, hey, it's this company is 40% of my revenue. We don't have a long-term contract with them. We don't have any contract with them. Mm. We have a long-term relationship, which is cool, but... All it takes is one person, yeah. right, at that organization to turn over, yeah, and suddenly exactly. it the evaporates. Purchasing person changes. You've known them for 30 years. Now it's somebody new. They want to shop the price around. Uh, you could lose all that business overnight. You sure could. Yeah, that's a scary thing. That's a scary thing. So your recommendations to mitigate that risk, what are your suggestions, Matt? That one, similar to the first one, again, easy to say, harder to do, is... Um, is diversification is, and I think, I think there's different ways that you can diversify. The most obvious one is go get different customers. And I can mm-hmm. tell you too, from seeing companies go literally go through this, where they had concentration, they lost the, that big customer overnight and had to pivot or, or just stuff the pipeline full, right. <laughs> full of anything, you yeah. know, getting work in the door, um, and I can think of two recent examples where they made it and they, they might have like, you know, hit the bottom on the way up, but they made it yeah. through, through just, you know, grit and persistence, um, which you're happy to see. But it's sort of like, you don't have to wait for that catastrophe to hit to go fire up the sales and marketing side of your organization. Absolutely not. That's right. Go go get those other customers. Go explore new markets. You could look at different geographies. Um, another way that this could play out that somebody successfully has dealt with this, um, is by offering that big customer different services and products. So Mm. I know there's another company we worked with that worked with a large company, large customer who was, had no contracts or short-term contracts and was turning off different products of theirs overnight, just no warning or very little warning. But they kept that customer and grew because they kept innovating they stayed close to the customer and they kept offering them other service lines. So this is one where they could offer them multiple products at the same time. 
And so, you know, two products would get shut off, but they'd introduce three more. And so they kept, you know what I mean? Sort of refilling that yes. pipeline through the, through that kind of, uh, you know, not, not just product focus, but sort of customer focus and, and, uh, diversifying products. Right. Right. You mentioned, um, that supply from a supplier standpoint too, that if you had a supplier concentration, that could be equally as perilous yep, for absolutely. a company. So where they're, they're using maybe one or two sole suppliers yes. for everything. Yep. So it, talk about that a little bit. So this is, this is one this morning I was thinking about that. <laughs> oh. Tells you how exciting my life is. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and you were thinking about that maybe because you were dealing with someone in that situation. No, is that? Oh, just, I just hope thinking not. Ahead, but um, this actually, I was thinking back to my California days. I did my very first internship uh, was with Cisco, the technology company. Oh yeah, and they have tons and tons of suppliers. Obviously, they're super huge and diversified. But our project was was to look at suppliers where they were sole sourced. Mm. So Cisco was getting some super specific product from one company. And they were, so what Cisco demanded is you need to give a certain financial visibility to your company because if you're going to go under, we want to have a head start. Heck yeah. We want to know, we want to see it coming and not get surprised that you put up, you know, the bankruptcy sign. Right. um, So that's how they managed it. But even a company like that can't totally get around it in some cases. Uh, So I'm I'm not saying that you can always eliminate, can or should eliminate this stuff. But the point is just try and mitigate it as best you can through contracts, through relationships, through keeping your eyes open on keeping close to the customer or the supplier and seeing what's happening with them. Right, right. So, I mean, really, this is a process of examining your business Mm -hmm. every day, all the time, always looking at the makeup of your suppliers and your customers and taking that critical look to say, let's not be lazy. Because right. we've got a great customer base right now, and our suppliers seem good, and we've got good relationships, and you know, business is great right now. The account, everything's going well. It's not broke. We don't need to fix it. Right. But you're saying no. You always need to be looking at that mix and that blend, both on the customer and the supplier side, to make sure that it's not getting out of whack. Because I imagine it can happen pretty easily where you just slip into it, and if nobody's watching that, dot 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 all of a sudden you have a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And the third risk you talk about. And, and that's in a great lead-in, Cherry, to our third risk. <laughs> Perfect. I, I set you up wonderfully for that. <laughs> what right. is that, man? That's Drum right. roll, please. Um, so the third risk is, uh, you know, really kind of the heart of what you just said, where um, things have been going really well, maybe even for two or three decades in your family-owned business, you've had a comfortable life. Uh, or a good run, you know, lately, and revenue, you know, has kind of maybe stalled out. Growth, mm. the core growth engine has slowed down, and sometimes revenue is still going up a little bit, or sometimes it's it's going down. Um, but really, that core of innovation has has stopped mm. at the company, and sometimes we see that where um, sometimes the company had been passed to generation two and it's just a change in change in the guard or change in focus. And sometimes it's the same generation who worked really hard for, you know, 20 years to establish a business. And then for another 10 or 20 said, I'm going to enjoy the fruits of my labor. Um, which again is totally fine. And I, I have, I have no judgment on that, but I think that the risk is again, from a sort of impartial investor, I would look at that company and say, well, 
yeah, but where's the industry going? Where, what's your competition doing? You know, what's technology going to do to your company in five or 10 or 15 years? Because that can, there's that sort of that old saying, if you're not disrupting your company, somebody else is. Ah, yes. So true. It, It is easy to get complacent, isn't it? Yep. Yep. And you you mentioned that changes, I mean, change is happening all the time. I I would say it's happening faster now than ever before. We can't expect that it's going to slow down. It's probably just going to continue at that pace. Absolutely. And you have older generations in family businesses that in many cases aren't used to that. That's right. And I, I think that's part of the the challenge and also part of the solution, though, is I think that's absolutely part of the challenge is that um, what what worked for you worked for you. And it's sort of and I think we see this all the time when in the different generations of family businesses, because Gen 2 or the next gen is saying, hey, I have a new perspective. I want to try some new things. And Gen 1 or, the, you know, the now gen is saying, hey, I know what works. You right. know, you've got ideas. I've got what, a plan that works, you know. Yeah, I built this company on this for 50 this years and, and it's going fine. It's Come on to, now. Ar- yeah, yeah, it's going fine today. And I think that's sometimes that's a hard argument to make. Right, right. To take that look around the corner. But I think you're saying that uh, you really got to, you got to be pushing yeah. all the time, yes. looking around the corner, yep. being in touch with what's happening in your industry, your marketplace, your region to know where you where you need to be headed and it's, and encourage the company to go there. That's right. And I think it, for my valuation lens, um, you know, I try and look as a disinterested buyer or or, you know, buyer would look at the company and they they're not buying the past. They're not paying for the past. Value mm-hmm. business valuation is based on the future. Right. So I I might look at your past and say, "Hey, that's great. You had great cash flow, you had great growth, but what's the future going to be?" Yeah. Cuz that's what I'm interested in. Yeah, yeah. So how do you overcome that? What are your suggestions there? I I think the the core suggestion is innovation. Um, okay. I think obviously you wanna you wanna grow that revenue. You wanna you can do tactically things like trying new product lines, looking at new geographies, looking at new some of the stuff we talked about, new customers, new products, kind of what can you do? Taking, I think having systems in place where your company is always looking around the corner, Mm -hmm. you're always gazing, somebody's gazing into the future or Mm -hmm. you periodically get together to do that. Look at the industry, look at the trends. Sometimes for some companies, it does feel like watching paint dry because you say, hey, you know, we've, we've been doing this and nothing is changing. Right. You know, why do we, why should we keep doing this? Um, and some are very, very rapidly changing. So I understand that, that there can be different dynamics, but I think you can't get caught off guard if you're always looking. Right. Right. And, and that is hard to do, um, you know, often in smaller companies in particular, there's a wrestle with leadership between working in the business mm-hmm. and working on the business. Absolutely. And this is a working on the business kind 100%. of a thing that um, that it is hard to do yep. sometimes for leaders. And, and family business leaders are caught up in that just as much as any are. I, I'm a business owner too, and I know how that is. And it is a wrestle. Yep. 
and so is my wife. And it's this, it's the, it is a wrestle, right? Because you know, you need to work on the business, but there's so much in the business right. that demands your attention and time. Right. And innovation is, is one of those things that we all want to do. And it's, and we know it's important to do, but how do you find the time to do it? And I, I think what you're saying is, Somebody needs to own that, right? Yes. You're, you're saying you you need an appointed champion, and whether you spend you know uh, an hour a week on it or an hour a day on it, uh, whatever seems to make sense for your operation. But yep. someone needs to be the champion appointed to spend time thinking about the future of your company. Or yikes! In two real quick things, I would say is you think about how a big company does R and D. They're not trying to get it right every single time. They're taking 10 shots, hoping they make one. Right. So I think it's that continuous small tests that can get you there. Yeah. Continuous iteration. And I think an advantage family businesses have is lean, like we said about the generational, you lean on that next generation because they have a totally different perspective. Right. And they'll have ideas, trust me. Oh, <laughs> they'll, yes. They'll have opinions. <laughs> it's just, it, it, but in the best of ways you know, lean into that conversation and say, this is what works. But also I want to hear, what are your ideas? What do you see in the future? What yes. is your perspective? What do people like you want? Because uh, I think there can be things learned from that. And maybe they own the innovation. Right, right. Absolutely. Because you're beyond the family leaders in the company, there are a lot of people on the staff. There, there are people on your lines that have got great to listen to them and bring them into the innovation process is terrific. And, um, and when it comes to attracting talent into an organization, you know, everyone wants to play on a winning team, yeah, right? Absolutely. So a company that's innovating and cutting edge and listens to its employees and brings them in creates a culture, a winning culture, a winning team that's attractive to talent. And of course, we know the value that top talent brings right to yep. an organization. That, that's probably the fourth problem that we're not going to talk about is tight talent market. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, that's the solution, innovation. Yep. yep. So if you if you do innovation well, you're going to not only retain the great people that you have, but also yeah. become a magnet Yeah. to attract great people who will just feed into that for you and help keep things going. So you talk a little bit too about really creating a focus on sales and marketing. Sometimes that's an afterthought when things are going really well, but you're saying focus on it. Right. I think all these things, like you alluded to before, are just good business planning. Yeah. And it, it serves a lot of purposes when you do it well. Um, it creates business value, whether you want to sell your company or be able to sell your company or be able to transfer it down. Even surprisingly, it helps with that for just good succession planning. It right. ensures that business is going to be strong and healthy for multiple generations into the future. And I think that's the kind of vision a lot of family business owners have. Absolutely. That's a vision that every business owner has. Family business owners are just like every business owner, building value in their company, value to their stakeholders, whether they're other family members or you know others. Everyone wants to build value in their company. And you've given some great suggestions here for how to overcome risk and building value in your organization. Great ideas. Um, so, you know, it, it really does look like there's no, there's not necessarily a playbook or a one size fits all approach to what might work best. You've got a lot of great ideas, but what you're saying is dig deep, get involved, have strategies, don't rest on your laurels, work hard 
to figure out where you need to be and look at some of these areas and work on it all the time. Work work on that business, right? Not just in the business. That seems to be a real key. That's correct. Thing. And I think w- one last thing, and I think that was all well said. I think the one last thing I would add is, yeah. A local resource that we have in West Michigan is the Family Business Alliance, and I'm a member of that group. In and I think that I'm never a fan of giving people a ton of homework and feeling people who are overwhelmed, like business owners, yeah. and saying do more, do more. I I think I would say do it together too. Yes, you don't have to do it alone. Talk to other family owned business family business owners, right? In the FBA is a great space to do that where people are wrestling with the same issues. I don't know that anybody ever gets it perfect. I think it's more of a process in sticking with it that's important. Right. That's well said because the Family Business Alliance is so well positioned to bring leaders like that of family-owned companies together and to sort of share war stories and stories of success Mm -hmm. too, where there's really been impact, which we hope our conversation today helps inform some of our listeners to think, wow, this is great stuff. I can put this to work today. But let me ask you this. If some of our listeners have some more questions or some specific questions or think, you know what, I might want to talk to Matt a little bit about some unique situations that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me, how can they reach you, Matt, if they've got some additional questions? What's the best way to get in touch with you? I think the best way to reach out is through our website, which is beangarter.com. That is B-E-E-N-E. G-A-R-T-E-R.com. Great. And they can find you on there? They can find me. Just put me in the contact form and ping me a little message and we can connect from there. All right. Terrific. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for sharing with our listeners today. And we appreciate you being our guest on the Welsh Wire and the Family Business Alliance podcast series. Thanks very much for having me, Sherry. Thank you for listening to the Welsh Wire. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. For more information, visit welshandassociates.net.